Let's open up to 1 Corinthians 6 this morning. We've been right, taking a deep dive the past few weeks in uh, this church in Corinth. And uh, maybe you've been just surprised at just the many different topics that God's Word has been addressing in this book, like lawsuits between believers, or how to respond to someone in the church who's sleeping with his mother-in-law, right? how to deal with divisions over church leaders within a church. And that's one of the reasons I really appreciate uh, this letter that Paul wrote, because it addresses a variety of topics. And these issues weren't just on the minds of first century believers in Corinth, but many of these topics apply to us even today. Like uh, this morning's passage, Paul's going to address the topic of our physical bodies and sex. See, some people, when they think about the human body, they see it like a Tupperware container, and really what's of value isn't the container itself, but the contents in it, like the soul. And after a few years, when that container's been used, right, you just toss it away, just like your bodies. That's how some people see uh, the physical body. Others see the body like an avatar, right? If you don't want your body because of its look or limitations, then you can exchange it. You can upgrade it uh, for a different one, uh, just like how we do with our online avatars. But what we're going to see this morning is God's vision of the human body, that it's not a container to be thrown away, not an avatar to alter, but it's his temple where the Holy Spirit, his spirit dwells. Maybe this morning you have a lot of just negative thoughts towards your physical body, or you're obsessed over your physical body and just can't stop thinking about it. Well, we need God's view, just like the Corinthians needed it. So let's dive right in, starting with verse 9 in chapter 6. It says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Paul here, he's addressing a number of issues and sins the church was dealing with. And uh, like last week, right, we read about the church was, there were people in the church taking each other to court over issues that could have been resolved on their own. And the church couldn't work through their problems. So Paul is reaching out to help. Paul's like that concerned adult who sees a child going onto the street in oncoming traffic, and he's reaching out uh, to help them. And, and he, he warns them. That if they live for these sinful practices, it's evidence that they will not enter into God's kingdom. Now, Paul here, he's not talking about struggling with sin, struggling with sexual sin or greed or unrighteous anger. Right? Christians, we, we struggle with sin. We're told in the Bible to continually put sin to death in our own lives. So Paul here, he's not talking about struggling with sin. He's talking about being enslaved to sin about people who live for sin rather than for God, who don't want to repent from sin because they don't want to give them up. That's what Paul is talking about. And he's saying that this type of lifestyle is evidence that you could be attending the church in Corinth, but you're not a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Just like how symptoms are the evidence that a person is, is sick. Unrepentant sin is the evidence that a person is not truly a follower of Jesus, that, you're, that they're spiritually dead. 
And Paul doesn't want anyone in Corinth to miss out on the kingdom of God. So in love, he's, he's warning these individuals in the church of the consequences of living for sin. In a sense, he's also encouraging them to evaluate their own lives, to see if they really are followers of Jesus. Paul then goes on to encourage those who have experienced life in Jesus. In verse 11, he writes, And some of you used to be like this, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Right? Paul is saying these encouraging words, right? You used to live for these things. You used to be separated from God and, and ruled by these, uh, your, your sexual desires, your selfish ambition. But then God rescued you. Paul says they were washed. Right? Our sins have been forgiven because Jesus took the punishment for them on the cross. So our sin and shame have been washed away. We were justified in his name. Right? No longer do we hold our list of sins to our chest, but now we hold through faith Jesus' perfect record of living applied to us. And God declares us righteous. We've been justified. We've been sanctified, Paul says. We were set apart to be, uh, as his child, to be shaped and molded to be more like Jesus. And we may struggle with sin, but we're no longer ruled by them. We no longer live proudly for them. And so after encouraging church, Paul then will call them to honor the Lord with their bodies. And so he addresses another situation going on in the church. Uh, there were some individuals that were having sex with prostitutes. And now Paul is going to write to the church to teach them God's view of the body and sexuality. Let's look at verse 12. Paul says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For Scripture says the two will become one flesh. So there was a popular saying going around in Corinth, and that's in verse 12. Um, just like how we have popular sayings that we will put in hashtags. And uh, one of their sayings was, everything is permissible for me. And so Paul's quoting what people in the church were using to justify their actions. In a sense, what they're saying is, you know, if it's not against the law, if it's permissible, then... You can go and do it. You're not breaking a law to be with a prostitute, so why not? Because Corinth was a city where, where prostitution, uh, prostitution wasn't just legal, but it was common. It was common. Not only that, but prostitution was tied to the temples where um, you would worship particular gods. So it wasn't just a sexual activity, but it was a religious one. And so there were people in the church thinking, you know, it's not against the law. Pretty much everybody's doing it. So why not get involved? Well, Paul argues against this popular saying by saying, well, not everything's beneficial. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. Right? It's like going shopping at Costco, right? 
and you see in a 70-inch TV. You already got a 60-inch TV at the house. But then you see that 70-inch TV, and you think, hmm, can I buy it? I can. Probably going to put me behind on the bills, but should I? Will it be beneficial? Probably not. See, but for the people in Corinth, the issue wasn't just if it was beneficial, but it was also detrimental to them. It was harmful. Paul adds to the popular saying, everything is beneficial, and says, but I won't be mastered by anything. See, the Corinthians, they were following their passions and desires rather than the Lord. They let their bodily appetites dictate how they would make decisions. So if they wanted to engage in sex with prostitutes, then they did it. And Paul's saying, don't be a slave to your desires. Don't let it master you. So here's the first thing when it comes to viewing our bodies is don't worship it. Don't let it be your master. Don't make decisions based on what your body wants. Right? Imagine if we always listen to our desires. Right? When you're on the H1 freeway in traffic and someone cuts you off, what would be it be like to, to, to respond with your first instinct and gut reaction? It probably wouldn't be a good action, right? Or you wake up in the middle of the night because you have to go to the bathroom, right? And as you're walking past the kitchen, you remember that leftover dessert in the fridge. And you start feeling hungry. Stumble, your, your stomach starts rumbling. Right? It's probably not the best idea to obey right, our hunger at that time. So Paul's telling the church, right, don't be mastered by your desires. Don't worship your body. But we can also jump to the opposite extreme of our view of the body. We can devalue our bodies. We can despise our bodies. Verse 13, Paul writes, food is for the stomach and stomach for the food. And God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So here's another popular saying from Corinth. Basically, right, your body has appetites, so you should feed it. If you're hungry, get some food. If you have sexual desires, go and have some sex. It's just your body's appetite. It's nothing more. What you do with your body, it's not that big of a deal. What really matters is the inside, the real you, your spirit. That's what matters. See, in Paul's day, they were influenced by the teachings of a philosopher, a Greek philosopher named Plato. He lived a few hundred years uh, before Paul, and uh, he was born in and, and had a school in Athens, which is about an hour drive from Corinth to Athens. And in Plato's philosophy, uh, the physical world, right, this world that we can see and touch, like our physical bodies, it's not that important compared to the immaterial world, like our souls. And, and what that means is, Pretty much, you know, do whatever you want with your body. Sex with a prostitute, go for it. But just make sure your heart is good. Just make sure your soul is pure. See, this popular philosophy saturated the society of Paul's day. And the church would have been familiar with it and probably influenced by it. But Paul says, no, what you do with your body matters. It's the Lord's. Don't use it for sexual immorality. So here's the second view that we're to avoid, is avoid devaluing your body. See, some people see the, the, the body like an accessory, like a pair of glasses uh, that you take off when you die. They see their true selves as souls that have a body for a while. But Paul, he doesn't dismiss 
or devalue the body. In fact, he refers to it eight times in this text. And he even interchanges the words body and you because you cannot separate the real you from your body. Our bodies are essential to our personhood. When God created us, he made us both body and soul, and he called his creation very good. So we're not souls with a body. We are embodied souls, and that should elevate our view of our physical bodies. They're not just an old phone that you turn in for an upgrade. Our bodies are created by God and essential to our personhood. You know, and that is, that's good news. Even if we don't feel at home in our bodies. Maybe for some of us, we feel uncomfortable with our bodies. Now, as we think about this topic of our physical bodies and sex, uh, we may have questions and feelings that we're wrestling through. And you know, this message today is probably not going to cover all the questions that you have. So I do want to remind you and encourage you to come out to our upcoming seminar at the end of the month, The Gospel and LGBTQ. All of our five Harbor congregations were coming together uh, to be equipped and encouraged to grow in our love for God, but grow also in our understanding of how he made us and to grow in a love for the people in our communities. So then you can sign up online or in our bulletin. So we, we should value our physical bodies because God values our physical bodies. So let's read from verse 14. And I want us to take note of the different places where we see God valuing our bodies. I'll point out five ways that, that I noticed. So verse 14, God raised up the Lord, and he will raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one with her? For Scripture says the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord will, is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. All, every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. For your body the price. So glorify God with your body. Here's the first way I see God valuing the human body. Back in verse 14, Jesus himself has a body. God raised Jesus with a body. Sam Alberry, he says it like this. Jesus' incarnation is the highest compliment the human body has ever been paid. God not only thought our bodies up and enjoyed putting several billion of them together, he made one for himself. The Son of God became human. And after he died on the cross, God raised Jesus from the dead with a physical body that the disciples could see and touch. He wasn't only a spirit. And this shows us the value God places on the physical, that Jesus himself had and still has a physical body. And because he was raised with a body, we too will be raised with a body. That's the second way we see God valuing our bodies. He will raise them. You know, if our physical bodies were not that important, uh, you know, if it's just like a Tupperware container that gets thrown away, then God wouldn't raise us with our physical bodies. But instead, he will raise and transform them. Paul says it like this in Philippians 3. 
He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. God will not get rid of your body. He loves the physical body. But this is what it also means, right? Our bodies right now are still in need of transformation because of sin's effects on it. Right now we have sinful desires that confuse us and and tempt us away from what is good and what is beautiful, as James 1 tells us. So we shouldn't be true to ourselves, as you might hear people say, because we can deceive ourselves. We need God's view. We need God's transformation that he brings. Third, we see God valuing the body because he joined our bodies to Christ. In verse 15, Paul writes, our bodies are a part of Christ's body. We've been joined to Jesus not only in spirit, but also our bodies as well. And that's why Paul's saying, you know, it'd be unthinkable, right, to have sex with a prostitute because you're joining Christ to a prostitute. Because to have sex with someone is to become one with them. Paul here, he's quoting Genesis, describing this union. And what this means is sex is not just a spiritual act, but it's a deeply spiritual one. Because marriage and sex is a human picture of our union with Christ. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5, where he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. This means that marriage and sex is not just about two people coming together to be happy. It's not just about fulfilling personal needs and desires. It's a picture pointing us to the greatest lover, God, and his commitment to his people. We see this connection throughout God's word. For example, Jesus is called the bridegroom, and we, the, his people, the, the bride. And Jesus said that he is returning to the Father, and he's preparing a place for us. And when Jesus returns, he will take us, the bridegroom, to be with him forever. So that the newly married couple has a home to live in. So as the bridegroom, we wait with anticipation and excitement for that day when Jesus will return and bring us home. And a way, we rehearse that now through our engagement period between two individuals. But here's the thing, right? When we're involved in things like cohabitation, when we're living with someone romantically while not being married, not only are we becoming one with someone we may or may not marry, but we actually destroy the picture of this holy anticipation. We miss out on rehearsing the return of Christ for his people because we're already living together. See, the gift of marriage and sex, it becomes more and more meaningful as we see its connection to Christ and the church. It gives us the full picture. It's like watching the full series and not just one episode of a show. Right? Imagine if a friend were to come up to you and say, hey, I'm planning to watch Avatar 2, Way of the Water, but I didn't see Avatar 1. Or if they came up to you and said, hey, guess what? In my entire life, I've never watched a single Marvel movie. I'm going to start today. The first movie I'm going to watch is going to be Endgame, Avengers. Right? What would you tell them? You'd be like, no, stop. Right? You're, you're breaking some kind of movie rule here. Right? 
because uh, you, you can't watch that movie first. I mean, you can, technically. You're going to enjoy it, yeah, but you're missing out on the backstory. You're missing out on the, you know, the character development and the plot. It, it'll be more confusing than meaningful. See, if we view marriage and sex as simply a human thing, we're missing out on the backstory. We're missing out on so much more purpose and meaning that we would experience when we see it in relation to Christ and the church. We'll miss out on the wisdom that can benefit our marriages because we don't see the connection to our relationship with God. Not only that, we'll stunt, we'll cap our level of enjoyment and amazement of what marriage and sex is supposed to point to, that we are joined to Christ. Fourth, God shows his value on the human body because he chose his spirit to live in us. Verse 19 tells us the Holy Spirit, God himself lives in his people. You know, God could have chosen some of the natural wonders of the world to live in a special way. Could have chosen Mount Everest, Great Barrier Reef, Victoria Falls, right? Places that people will travel to and pay big money for. But God didn't choose any of those places to dwell in a special way. Instead, God chose redeemed sinners like you and me to dwell in. And that truth should just take our breath away. You may not think much about your physical body, but God chose to have his spirit dwell in you as his temple. Fifth way that I saw God valuing our bodies is he redeemed us. Paul says we were bought with a price. Peter says what that price was. We were not redeemed by gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. He died to redeem all of you, including your body. So what we do with our body matters because ultimately our body is the Lord's. So how should we live then? in light of this good news that God values our bodies. One way, it's to serve God with our bodies. Paul says in verse 13, our bodies are not for sexual immorality, for the Lord, to honor and serve him. Romans 12.1, Paul says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So look for ways to serve the Lord by serving others in our lives, our families and our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors uh, and our classmates, right? Do good with the body that God has given you. Second is we care for our bodies. We care for our bodies because they're God's. Right? There are many ways that we can do that through you know, exercise, adequate sleep, right? discerning what we put into our minds and our physical bodies, Right? These things can give us more energy and focus in serving the Lord. But Paul here, he zeroes in specifically on avoiding sexual sin as a way to honor God with our bodies. In verse 16, Paul tells the church to flee sexual immorality. Sexual sin in particular is a sin against our body. Right? Paul's saying that anything sexual outside of marriage, he says to flee it. Don't fight it, don't rationalize it, don't try to reason with it, flee it. That's an intense word. 
Right? When I think of flee, I think about swimming away because a shark's right by you. Or a volcano erupting and you're, you're, you're trying to run away. Right? Fleeing is what all of us tried to do a few years ago when we got that false missile alert text on our phones. Right? And we all tried to flee and we realized, oh no, we're on an island. We can't go anywhere, right? right? Fleeing is, that's an intense word. Right? Paul is using drastic and radical language to describe how we should view sexual temptation. Why? Why is such a radical response? Because sex is such a radical gift from God. Our body is such an amazing blessing. And right, we protect and care for what we value. Maybe some of us today are still holding on to shame and guilt because of the sexual sin in our lives. We didn't flee it, but maybe we embraced it. And we feel dirty and struggling to believe that God accepts us. If that's you today, I want to encourage you. I'm, I'm so glad that you're here. And I want to remind you of Paul's words to the church back in verse 11. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You can list whatever sexual sin you have committed and put it right before that phrase and receive God's word to you that you were washed, you were sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If you are a follower of Jesus, right, you are in Christ, and the Father doesn't look at you and see your list of sexual sins and struggles. No, he sees his perfect son's perfect life lived on your account because you're in Christ, and he declares you righteous. Maybe this morning you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior who died on the cross for sinners like you and me and who rose again from the dead. You never made him your king. And you're still wearing that guilt and shame every day. Well, it's not enough to simply flee your sin. You need to flee to Jesus, to flee to Jesus. And I pray that you would do that right here this morning. And that all of us would experience Jesus as our safe refuge we would receive the redemption that we could never pay for and then experience this resurgence of new life that he gives us by his spirit, that we would honor the Lord with the bodies he has given us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of our physical bodies. We thank you that you, you created us in your image to enjoy you and to honor you. Lord, and wherever we're at, Lord, we pray that Lord, we'd come to see you, Jesus, Lord, our good creator and savior who died for us so that we, along with our bodies, we experience redemption and transformation and walk in a newness of life by your spirit. And so as we continue to worship you, Lord, continue Lord, to remind us of these good truths as we live out this life you have given us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.